Well, welcome, 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 Rugby League fans. Another exciting episode here. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, these, last week when we talked with David Newey, we had such a great conversation about the NRL, about what he's done to grow the game, um, about what, you know, how he sees this NRL experience kind of unfolding and all the exciting things that are happening with the NRL. Today, I wanted to bring on another special guest. Uh, his name is Bernie Gerb. Now, for those of you outside of, you know, uh, Australia and probably some places in, in the UK who don't know, you're listening and you don't know who he is. Let me give you a bit of insight. So Bernie is a seasoned leader, not just in rugby league administration, but also in the corporate world. Right. So we'll get that out of the way first. Bernie's career is marked uh, by remarkable achievements. And, and I don't say that lightly, not just because I'm a Paramount fan, which you'll hear here in a minute, but um, you know, he's, he played for the Sydney Roosters in the early eighties, but I think, you know, according to all the reports, his rise to prominence is the word I'll say, um, was he was the CEO for the Roosters for nine years, overseeing eight straight final series, three grand finals, and a 2002 premiership. He went on to the corporate world. He spent nine years as a senior executive at Crown World Group here in the United States. So he's on our shores. Um, and then in late 2016, Bernie returned to the NRL, taking on the role of CEO for the Parramatta Eels. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Parramatta off the field was going through a little bit of problems at that particular time. Um, of course, you know, on the field, they're doing okay, not great, but, uh, but during his leadership, this period was really pivotal, right? He guided the Eels through challenges, oversaw successful return to prominence, both on and off the field. And, you know, of course, financially, too, because the team was just in financial, let's say, disarray at that particular point. Under his leadership, Eels secured a new $330 million home at the beautiful Bank West Stadium. They, they moved to a state-of-the-art uh, base there in, in Kellyville. And then, you know, his really the strategic uh, vision and financial acumen was instrumental in you know, helping grow and, you know, kind of define this team on and off the field. So everybody loves him, praise him. Like he's done great things. I'm happy that, you know, we've kind of connected on social media. Now we have a chance to bring him onto the podcast. So happy to welcome onto the podcast for the very first time. And I don't think it'll be the last time, Mr. Bernie Gurr. Bernie, how are you, sir? Welcome. Great to be with you, Dustin. Thanks for the nice introduction, man. No, no, I was pretty correct on everything, right? You know, spending years, you know, with the Roosters, years with with Paramount and helping uh, the team that I follow uh, come out from a very dark time. <laughs> Absolutely, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a dark time for the club, but a very exciting time to be involved with uh, what I call one of the one of the huge clubs of the NRL, which is the Parramatta Reels. They have a scale that a number of the other NRL clubs don't have. Um, they're perfectly set up in Western Sydney, which is a real heartland of the game in Sydney. So to be able to come in there and make a contribution, look, it was a real team effort by a number of very, very good people. Um, I was lucky to play a part in that. And just look at some governance issues, some structural issues, people issues, of course, and just set a course whereby the club could get back on its feet and behave in a very professional and most importantly, ethical manner. Yeah. And I think, you know, for, for me, it was, you know, we don't really, we didn't get a really lot of news like we would now um, about all the goings on around the world of rugby league, especially in behind the scenes, you know, so it's kind of interesting to go back and read these things about what happened now that I have access to archive, you know, news reports from, you know, the Guardian or whatever else. So um, for me, it's really interesting to see kind of the changes that did happen. Bernie, what I want to do is, you know, we, we can we can dive into the time at, at, at Parramatta, but you know we're all excited here in the U.S. And I know you've been excited about you know the NRL. Um, I think when this first got announced a while ago, you know you and I connected on social media and you're just kind of curious about like, okay, what is the state of rugby league in the U.S.? Is this NRL thing going to really happen? And this is before it even got announced, I think. But you know now that it is happening. I'd love to talk to you more and get your, your insight and input on, on what's happening with the NRL, given your experience. But also, I want to talk you know, today a little bit about you know, how you think you know, local club-level rugby teams can help grow and establish themselves, given your experience you know, from a corporate standpoint, but also growing you know, one of the largest and, and most prominent rugby league teams, as you said, in Australia. That'd be good. We be all right with that. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So, 
you know, I said that we talked about leading Parramatta through kind of that transformative period. You know, you've gained insight into the dynamics. Looking at the NRL's decision to kick off in Las Vegas, yeah, from what we'll call from the outsider's perspective now, now that you've moved back to your your role in the corporate world, um, what are some of the strategic considerations that you think the NRL should focus on to ensure the the long term success and sustainability of this venture in, in the U.S. market? Uh, that's a very broad question, but a very good one. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's a very, very good question. And it's something that I've, I've given a lot of thought to actually, because when organizations make any decision, you've got to go one step backwards and look, what is the fundamental objective of the action they are taking? And right from day one, Peter Volandis and Andrew Abdo from the NRL, they were stating at that point when this first came on the horizon a number of uh, months ago, probably about 15 months ago, that they were after additional gambling revenue that could accrue to the National Rugby League. They saw the American market, a huge market, 330 million people, a lot of died-in-the-wool sports fans, uh, could be a market for additional gambling revenue that could accrue to the NRL. One of the key factors there was that over the last five to seven years, the federal government has relaxed the law on uh, sports gambling, particularly online gambling in the United States. We now have approximately 30 to 33 states that have some form of sports gambling. In the past, it used to be owned in Nevada and New Jersey. Yeah. So I think at a very base level, that's where that came from. Peter Volandis, of course, is also the head of horse racing New South Wales. So he certainly has ability to look at issues through the prism of gambling. And this, I believe, was the prism. He st- they stated that they wanted to get a, a piece of the gambling market here. They've now since added a piece about having a combine where they could potentially identify young US players that may not gravitate to the NFL that would be athletically suited to the game of rugby league and potentially getting some of those players to come back and play in Australia in the National Rugby League. I think at a core level, they were the objectives the, the interesting thing from my perspective was having lived, you know, over 20 years of my, of the last 30 years here in the United States, nothing would make me happier than to see the great sport of rugby league get traction in the United States and really earn its, earn its stripes within the, within the pantheon of the United States sporting landscape. That's a very difficult task to do. Having said that, the NRL they really have not made, to be honest, any meaningful mention of assisting in the growth and the development of rugby league in the United States. Yeah. I, I think you and I had a quick conversation of this one time previously. That, to me, should be a very strong anchor objective here for the NRL. There's no question if the NRL could get a foothold in the United States, get some awareness of our great game here in the U.S., that they could help grow the game here, which would, again, be another bonus in actually developing the sport. So I think at a core level, they're the objectives. Now, of course, I'm going to be in Las Vegas, as you probably will be. Uh, very excited to see the teams we're, playing We're, we're here. close. We're working on it. <laughs> Ex- keep working on that, mate. <laughs> so, you know, there I think the, the, they're the core objectives, but I would love to see some strategy around actually sitting down with the new US ARO board and management team and working out a way how they could dovetail the NRL objectives with the objectives of what I will call a newly reconstituted USARL, which quite yeah. frankly, to me, um, as a lover of the game and love to see the game grow in the US, this, you know, this uh, revised constitution under the direction of the International Rugby League that the USARL have just done um, is very promising. Uh, yep. to, see, to see that restructure, to get a new board, understand you're going to be on that board. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think it's absolutely vital because no matter what business you're in, whether you're in the sports business or traditional business, um, you know, the technology business, whatever, you need good structure of organization. You need good people within that structure. The result of that is you'll get good governance and out of that you'll get good strategic planning and you will optimize your ability to get good results and develop your business. Doesn't guarantee it, but without it, you won't get that growth that you want in your business. And in our case here, uh, we're in the business of rugby league. So um, just as an aside, that uh, the USARL, the, the 
The governing bodies in the US, as you know better than anyone, has had a, what I'll call a checkered history of, of being able to align themselves on growing the game um, meaningfully in the United States. From what I can read, um, this, this new development with the restructure under the direction of the IRL is absolutely a major step forward. And I'd like to see the NRL, which let's face it, is the major rugby league competition in the world. It's where most of the money is. They could play a critical role um, in assisting the USARL. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're right. You know, you, we talk about it, you know, kind of, we, you know, what are those strategic things that looked at the NRL looked at, you know, obviously, you know, gambling was the first one and everybody kind of goes back to that gambling thing. But, but I think you're right. I think from the standpoint of, you know, how do we work with the NRL, um, you know, the, the new board and just rugby league in general here in the U S you know, to work with them, what are the plans that, you know, that we would have as a government, as a new board as a new governing body um but as a sport itself to work with this entity you know because there's tons of experience from the nrl and growing the game you know around australia so we can work on you know tapping into short-term gains short-term wins here but also with a long-term strategy as you kind of talked about you you also talked about you know one of the other things kind of important is you know the, this combine aspect and and finding players that can go the, you know to play you know, everybody keeps talking about America's the untapped market. I love that every time any form of rugby is talked about. It's like, oh, America's the untapped market. What are the, I mean, you know, I, I've said it before. I don't think in season one or year one of this combine, um, we see that athlete come through that's going to go play in the NRL, maybe like a new South Wales Cup or something like that. But, you know, do you, would you foresee in the next, you know, two to three years trying to find that, that elite athlete that's going to go over there and play? Look, on the surface, I think it sounds like, yeah, that's very logical. And quite frankly, people have been saying for 40 years that uh, we should be looking at the leftover uh, USA athlete to play our game because of the physicality and the athleticism required to play our game, not dissimilar to the requirements to play um, American football. It's very difficult. You know, there are options for people that don't make the NRL, whether that's the Canadian Football League, NFL Europe. Uh, you've now got this new UFL, which is a combination <laughs> of the XFL and the USFL, and that starts in March. They have big TV deals with ABC, Fox, ESPN, and FS1, so they're, oh, yeah. not, they're not fooling around. Yeah. They're looking to take that space in the uh, sporting calendar here in the US straight after the Super Bowl from March onwards for three to four months. So uh, you also have, you know, Major League Rugby who's been around. It is really flailing at the moment. Yeah. A number of clubs are in major financial difficulty. I'm aware of that. And the interesting thing is despite the entrenchment of rugby in the college system for decades, I don't see college gridiron players that don't make the NRL gravitating back to rugby in the college system. So yeah. if we all think that this is this automatically migration <laughs> from the not making the NFL back to the playing rugby league, the history doesn't support that. Um, now, is it worth having a crack at it? Look, I think it probably is. I don't see that as a huge driver because my – my belief is that that benefits – let's say you do find a diamond in the rough and you get one or two players that can go back and play NRL. Number one, it's only going to be one or two players. Number two is it benefits NRL clubs. And number three is it's not really benefiting the growth of the game in the United States because those players are actually leaving America and going to play in Australia and they're your Correct. very best two players. So, look, I think it's worth having a look at, but I personally would not be dedicating a huge amount of money to that. I would prefer to be running – uh, educational systems around that with the in concert with the US ARL and their clubs yeah. and getting those US players that don't make American football to stay home and potentially give rugby league a crack with the number of clubs within the US ARL system. Yeah. That to me would be a better developmental process and a better spend uh, of the do- of the developmental dollar. Do, do you think that you know kind of uh following in line with that do you think that the you know say you're you're in charge of one of the, of the nrl teams right now you know this is going to be a five-year plan with the nrl in las vegas or in the u.s wherever the other matches be played would you imagine or would you kind of set yourself up like hey what if we partnered with a local team you know say you're with Parramatta, like we're going to send one of our you know development guys you know go go to the u.s work with these local clubs 
maybe try to help mold them a little bit to you know, almost like a feeder system, if you will. Um, you know, because you know, I know you've got, you know, different age grade, you know, players already in Australia, but, you know, do you, as the NRL, do you just like leave somebody in the U.S., travel around the U.S. and help run camps and help do trainings and help do things like that? Or do the individual teams themselves start looking at it from a partnership standpoint? And, you know, does that make sense, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things? I personally think that that's a bit far down on the totem pole. Yeah. What By that, I mean, I would prefer the USARL at a macro level to develop a strategic plan. And let's say the plan was within five years, you want a 12-team national competition at a very base level, whatever that may be. Whatever your plan is, you have to have a plan that's going to work in the US sports marketplace. Then you have to dovetail in, well, now that we have a plan, what's the logic of getting the NRL and the NRL clubs layered onto that plan and giving us some assistance? Now, that assistance may come in administration of clubs, it may come in revenue generation to assist clubs. And now when you get to the football side, it may come in the coaching and development, which clearly the NRL clubs to have that connection, I, I think would be a good thing for them. There's some benefits there that they could get out of it, not just players, but just in affiliation. Yeah. So I think there's a bigger picture there. I think rushing straight in and getting clubs to align with NRL clubs, it's sort of getting the cart before the horse. I think there's some... I think over the next year, the USARL has got to really sit down and you're going to be a big part of this on that board and look at where do we want to go in two years? Where do we want to go in five years? Where do we potentially want? It's very hard to plan after five years. It's very hard. And what are we potentially looking at? What things may we look at from years six to 10? I think the strategic planning of the USARL and your objectives will then drive the meaningful involvement of the NRL. Now, you clearly over time want that. As I said before, they're the biggest league. They're the most sophisticated league. They have the most money, uh, more money than the RFL, the Rugby Football League in the United Kingdom, which is a good competition, but clearly secondary to the NRL. Um, I think that's how I would be approaching this. You, It's really getting the macro things right first before you dive in and spin your wheels at the lower level and you don't want to be what an old boss of mine used to call busy fools. You're busy, busy, busy doing all these things, but you don't take the step back to say, hang on, are we wasting time here? Are we, are we what are we doing? Is it aligned with the corp, the broader strategic objectives of the organization? Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of kind of like strategic objectives, um, obviously, you know, we talk about growing the sport here and, and from that standpoint, you know, thinking of that five-year plan, um, you know, the NRL has made partnerships, not just with the Legion Stadium, but also the UFC and trying to like expand its recognition and not and, you know, just awareness. Do you think that, you know, the positioning that the NRL has taken, the marketing, maybe just the overall strategy um, for expanding its footprint in, in North America uh, has been successful so far? Well, it's hard to know. I, uh, I don't know what sort of traction they've gained through the marketing efforts they've done. I would call it uh, dipping the toe in the water. Mm -hmm. I don't think they've dived in full because, quite frankly, to dive in fully takes a lot of money. Yeah, you're in the (laughs) you're in the marketing business here, and and again, at a macro level, you're dealing. What we're dealing with here in the United States is the most sophisticated sports marketplace on the planet. We have a very intelligent corporate executives that spend twenty four hours a day in the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, the National Hockey League, Major League Soccer. Now we have the UFL. You also have uh, very smart marketing and promotional minds working in college sports, Olympic sports. They spend all their days and many of their nights working on how do we engage the fan base here in the US. Right. So that's what you're fighting. And bottom line is for the, for the, for the NRL to get any awareness whatsoever, and you need to get awareness before people can gamble. They can't gamble on a sport they're not aware of. And with all due respect, not many people know of the, know of rugby league. Cause I, as I said, I've lived here over 20 years and I'm continually having one on ones to educate people what rugby league is. <laughs> but the reality is the broader, the broader population have no idea. And even no. those that have an understanding of rugby, they don't understand the difference between rugby union and rugby league. Oh, oh yeah, rugby. They play that in college, don't they? Yes, yeah. they do. <laughs> they, really also, sc- 
butt heads and scrum up against each other and, so, the, and the, the tush push and all that. <laughs> exactly. So in order to, to generate interest, you have to generate awareness. And to generate awareness takes a lot of money. It takes very smart money. I think they've dipped their toe in the water. It's a massive exercise to bring a new sport effectively at a right. professional level into the United States. Now, the other thing to remember specifically on the gambling is these sports are now jumping into bed with these gambling companies because and why do they do that? Because they can make a lot of money. You tons know, of they, money. They can make tons of money. And I read some stats the other day on this that uh, the US sports are now very, very invested in working with the gaming industry. There's an indicate there was one study done that gambling could be worth $4.2 billion to the sporting industry in the very short term here in the United States from advertising, sponsorship, selling team and league data to yeah. gambling companies, um, increasing interest in the, in the sport through cross, cross media promotional opportunities. So, you know, you've got gambling companies now that are going to invest a lot of money in advertising and sponsorship of various sports, particularly the big ones like the NFL and the NBA. Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm summarizing here is the challenge that the game has to get what I would call meaningful traction. Now, yeah. they don't have to – like, look at Major League Soccer. They At the end of the World Cup, which I worked at in 1994, and soccer being the world world game, we left a what, what they called a development fund of $80 million, a lot of money in 1994, yeah. for the purpose of growing the game of soccer here in the United States. Now, part of the reason the United States was granted the World Cup in ninety four was that they agreed to start a professional league, which they did, Major yeah. League Soccer in 1996. I would contend, because a lot of my friends went and worked for Major League Soccer, that the real traction in Major League Soccer in the psyche of the American sports fans has only really occurred in the last seven or eight years. And yeah. for some of some of these franchises, the last three or four years, like Miami's done the Messi deal, absolutely brilliant. That's yeah. absolutely brilliant. So my point being, here you have the global game. More Americans are, are aware of soccer than rugby league or rugby union. So you have oh, the yeah. world world game was in existence basically for twenty to twenty five years before they got it right, and and one of the reasons they got it right was because they had an excellent stadium strategy. They had a stadium strategy of fifteen to twenty five thousand people. They fill it out. They optimize the fan experience, which they tell me is brilliant. I've seen a few games on television; it is brilliant. Yeah. So what am I saying here? At a summary level, I'm saying these are the challenges. These are the these are the the hurdles you're going to have to jump to get that awareness, to get the fan interest. And you know, I'm not saying it's it, it shouldn't be done, but what it what it will mean, it'll take time, it'll take a lot of money, and it'll take a definitive strategy. And I think that strategy should be tied with helping the USARL developed the rugby league here in the United States. Yeah. I think one of the things that you talked about, obviously, is awareness. You know, there's I had conversations with people on social media. It's like, oh, well, you know, all we want to see is the NRL do a Super Bowl ad. And I said, okay, let's look at, let's think about this. You get $7 million for a 30 second ad. You think, is that the money that's going to be spent to grow the sport? Like people want to see it here? Or is that just like a quick hit and hope that you get, you know, something out of it? Um, in my mind, I don't think that's money well spent at this particular point in time. You know, let's see how the first year goes. I'm cu- I'm curious what your thoughts. You know, do you go and spend seven million dollars for a thirty second ad? Well, number one, the U.S. don't have seven million U.S. dollars. That's ten million Australian dollars. Yeah, so the uh, the uh, the NRL. If you're the NRL, do you go spend seven no, million dollars no. on this? No, no way. Because <laughs> that's to, what I said. <laughs> to the to the NRL, that's seven million U.S. dollars, which equates to ten million Australian dollars straight out of the bank account in Australia. And whilst the NRL is a, a thriving sport, <laughs> it is not the NFL. No, right. It doesn't. Now, for the NFL and their affiliates and the broader corporates here in the US, they can do that. And even they think that's expensive. That would be the worst spend in history. I would rather take that $7 million if the NRL ever decided to do it, even a portion of it, sit down with the USARL and saying, how can we help your business? Because if we help your business, that is a better way of generating legitimate fan interest at the base level. Exactly. And I think that goes back to the awareness part. You know, we, people talk on like, oh, okay, well, we've got, we've sold maybe 23,000 tickets to, to this event, right? Allegiant Stadium sits 64,000 people. You know, people, people are saying, well, you know, we'll just give away free tickets at the end and 90% will be filled. And I said, okay, well, let's do math here. We've already taken away 21,000, you know, with those ticket sales. So that leaves us at about, you know, 
um, you know, somewhere in the, in the, the high 30s, low 40s. But at that, that same time, you know, you sell 90% of that. That's 30 something thousand more fans that you didn't have before that are going to get eyes on it. If, if you give them away, I hand them out on the Vegas Strip. Great. You just got 30. I'd love to see 90% people come in and fill it to be, you know, 35,000 people, uh, 40,000 people into that stadium. It'd be amazing. But, you know, it's, it's, it's about growing it and it's about recognition. And it I think is, it, it, it is. Know. And I, I'm, inc- I'm going to be interested when, and I don't know whether we'll get these numbers, but basically you can break down the final attendance into how many traveled for Australia to, to the game. Yeah. Because they really don't count because they're the rust. Like if you travel from Australia to watch an NRL game, you are rusted on. We don't need to sell to you. You're a marketing guy, mate. <laughs> you, you are. You're you sold. are an advocate. Yeah, man. You, you you're are sold. We don't worry. You're in it for the long we, haul. <laughs> with all due respect, we look after you, but we don't need to sell the game to you anymore. No. S- secondly, there are what I call the expats, such as myself here in the United States, that there are Australians living here that say, oh, this will be. I'm I'm a rusted on fence, but you'll get other Australians that say, "Oh yeah, let's take a weekend in Vegas and we'll catch a bit of the old rugby league." That's yeah, number been, two. It's been a, and, been a while since I've seen a live rugby league match. I'll go do that. Absolutely. <laughs> but and number three is the critical one: how many American people that have they got to as part of an awareness and marketing program yeah. to say, "Yeah, I'm interested in going and looking at a new sport." I, in many ways, I think the game would have been much better played in the in in the Los Angeles area. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, uh, the gambling angle, I think, drew them to Las Vegas. I think you'd have had a chance of picking up a lot more casual or transient fans and attendees had you played it in the broader Los Angeles market. Yeah. That's my personal belief. Um, but they're, they're going to be the interesting breakdown of the ticket sales just to see uh, what are the meaningful numbers around the attendance. Yeah. Because I think what you're going to have is going to be the the local advocates you know the, the rusted on ones you caught like myself all all the usarl you know board members and team members and people who are going to be out there for the nines event for the combines for you know just for the match in general just to go out and watch there's plenty of people who are just going to watch the match and have a good time in the u.s but they're already the fans here like you said the goal is to you know figure out how many of those new fans did we pull right because the the super bowl is two weeks away um yeah, two weeks away. Yeah, two weeks away. Uh, think about it for a second. There, we have this lull, right? And and I don't know how. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with it, but for those listening around the world, it's called the Super Bowl hangover. And it's that time in between the end of the Super Bowl and the start of March Madness, which is uh, college basketball here, which is a, a crazy time um, if you're a basketball fan. Um, and the beginning of baseball season, and then now the USFL, or sorry, the US. What do they call it the UFL, United Football League. This is X- X- yes. X- that just happened like a couple of weeks ago. So I, I'm just yes. getting used to that one. All right. So there's this lull over and it's the hangover period. There's nothing going on except this rugby league event. Can, you know, what is that opportunity that, that we can, you know, look at it and say, this is a great opportunity to showcase this sport to Americans who, you know, theoretically should really be able to tie in close with this event. And, you know, um, this, yeah, find get get the attention of those American sports fans and foster that long term growth. Yes, look, I think you know as we said before, we are desperate for rugby league to get traction here. We love the game, so you know all my comments here today are around challenges and what is a stra- best strategic approach here yeah. for the game. Um, the, so so the, the real the real challenge is. How do we get people aware of the game? Now, I think the NRL did a very good job of getting FS1. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what contra, and what I mean by that is what free advertising do they get on FS1 and, more importantly, on the regular Fox, Fox. Free to, Fox free-to-air network. Now, to me, if they could have worked with um, Murdoch and Fox on getting some uh, free-to-air advertising on the Fox network, a certain number of advertisements on the FS1 network, which has a subscription of over 100 million people, if they could have got that type of assistance, that's the, t- that's the type of broad-based awareness that they're going to have to do. Now, that may mean over time that they would need to potentially partner with someone like Fox in order to get that contra. Yeah. Uh, you know, Fox is running a business. They want to make money. But, I mean, if, if they have some skin in the game of, of a particular venture, such as these round zero games here in the U.S., 
you at the end of the day, any sustainable professional sports league anywhere in the world now, they need TV and streaming exposure. Yeah. You know, we've, we, we know the value of, of TV with respect to the National Football League here in the United It's an absolute monolith. The NFL is a beast that we've never seen before in terms of sports financial um, indicators. Yeah. So it is huge, but you need those broadcasts. You now are getting companies like Amazon who've taken over a major package within the NFL. So the streaming companies are getting involved, but of course they're getting involved at the very top level. They're getting involved because they know if they get a good game, they're going to get viewers because it's the NFL. Yeah. And there's nothing like the NFL, and quite frankly, the number two sport, I think, at the moment in the United States is college football. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, sure. so, so American football is really dominating the landscape. So my point here being that you, you need t- some sort of TV broadcasting commitment if you really want to get that uh, significant awareness. Yeah. I think, you know, this past weekend we're, you know, we talk about football. So in the U.S., the, uh, the, the, the Super Bowl's on CBS. This past weekend, there were two matches. One was on CBS and one was on Fox. And as far as I can tell, and I, I reported the match to go back and look, there was no advertisement during the last Fox free-to-air television, like free-to-air game on, on Fox, you know, Fox TV regular channel uh, for the NRL, which I think was a, was a bit of a miss because it was the last chance for a golden opportunity. And you had uh, one of the best football matches. You had the Lions who hadn't gone... The, you know, hadn't been in the playoffs for you know, a million years going against San Francisco. So, you know, Midwest versus West Coast and one of the greatest comebacks, you know, in in the history of, of the playoffs um, by San Francisco to go on to the Super Bowl. And imagine the opportunity, the missed opportunity. And maybe, you know, the guys in Vlandis and, and Abdo are sitting there kicking themselves in the, in the rear right now saying we could have advertised in the middle of this game, which is not seven million dollars. But you could have had an opportunity to say, hey, Fox fans, if you can't make it out to Vegas, you can watch it on FS1, right? And you're watching this football match. You know, if, if you're a fan of football, you, you know, you, it's very similar. Rugby league, it's not going to take much to learn this game. And I think that's one thing that we've kind of been missing is that the draws and parallels of the sport. And I've been harping on it for months. You know, let's get away from talking about how how if you're a, if you're a football fan, this is no pads and no fear and blah 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 and you know you know hard hits and things like that. Like that's great, but you got to draw parallels because NFL fans are going to start putting it towards oh it's the scrum thing or it's the line out thing that they do and throwing people up in the air, right? So I think that's it was a miss in, in my mind. I don't know about, about your thoughts on the matter. You, if look, you watch the match at all, <laughs> I, I did actually. I watched uh, both games on the weekend: the CBS game and then the the Forty uh, Nineers and the Lions on Fox. And yeah, that, that's a miss. If they could have somehow negotiated a deal with just one Fox to get one ad, maybe a maybe <clears> not. <throat> it might not have been a half time ad because they're the most expensive, I believe. And but it could have been an ad later on in the telecast, even at the end of the telecast. But yeah, if they could have got an ad or two on that, that would have been uh, that would have been marketing gold. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and, and even market market is like, hey, you're going to have a hangover after one of your two fan base is going to have a hangover after the Super Bowl, um, a sports hangover after the Super Bowl, <laughs> or maybe just a hangover in general after the Super Bowl if they win. <laughs> That's right. Uh, right. Like, so you know, come watch some rugby league. So, um, you know, looking beyond the Vegas event. Well, let's actually before that. So we talked about like the, the keys that, you know, what the, what NRL needs to do. What do you think those key indicators of success? So let's, let's fast forward to a week, two weeks, a month after the event. What do you think are those key indicators for success for this Vegas venture, if you will? And then, okay, go ahead. We'll look at that and I'll come back. To the I think, part. I think there's two pieces. One is the short term. How many people did they get to go to the game? Yeah, uh, that that's that's what everyone. That's a very simplistic, but it's still a meaningful thing. How many people actually attended the game? And then, of course, the interesting analysis would be, as we spoke about earlier, what is the breakdown? Where did those people come from? So that's number one. That's the short term. Now, number two is, I think, any time you measure any um, any exercise, you have to measure it against the objective. So from the the NRL is going to probably have to take it'll probably take some time because if they're trying to generate gambling revenue, you're really not going to know where that sits for a number of years. Hence, they've made a five year commitment to do this because they know that. 
they know they to, to build this thing and generate any gambling revenue and build the awareness so you can actually generate gambling revenue, they're going to need at least five years to, to get a toehold in the market, a foothold in the market. So I think you have a, the short term will simply be the attendance and did it appear that the games were presented well? And, and the longer term, of course, is did they achieve their stated objective of getting enough awareness to generate some gambling revenue to justify the cost of doing it? A lot of money to do this. This costs a lot of money to bring four teams with the support staff and everybody over from Australia. And and whilst it has a great, you know, people are saying, well, it's good to see them having a go. You know, they're trying. You know, the old having a go. That's often the that's often a strategic death knell. Yeah, it's 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 the death dive because you know we're not looking for people to have a go. We're looking for these organisations like the NRL to have intelligent, smart, strategic objectives and know what they're doing. Now, doesn't mean they're going to be successful. And like I said before, I don't want to be negative at all because I'm excited about the games coming here. And in many ways, no one, you know, people like you and I that live here in the United States, of course, we want this to be a rip-roaring success oh. for, whatever, for whatever reason. So it's going to be very interesting to see to, to see what the results are. I'm sure the teams will enjoy it. The players get to spend a week and a half in the U.S., it's basically a, a training camp for them. The interesting thing will be the field. The field's apparently five uh, yards or five meters narrower because yeah. you know a typical NFL field is much much narrower than a than an NRL field. That will be interesting to see how the teams approach it. Typically, early in the year, teams are focused on their defense and completing sets and in and, and a slightly more conservative game plan until they get until they get their feet under them as the season moves on. So, given Given that normally happens, and with the, the, the field being a little smaller, it's going to be very interesting to see how they attack the game tactically. Yeah, that'd be something I'd definitely look at for sure. Um, you know, Bernie, there's, I mean, we could sit here and talk for hours on strategy and metrics that we want to look at and the things that we want to keep going on about and, you know, all the other things that, that have you know, that can come up around this, but I don't want to be cognizant of your time and then of our listeners' time as well. <laughs> so, um, I have time. Any, you know, I guess, you know, as I'm thinking about it, the, you know, well, go back a little bit here when we talked about like the NRL, you know, ensuring success, you know, in, in the U S you know, are there, are there some key things that you think that the, that the NRL should avoid when working with the U S and working to grow the game here? Um, I know it sounds, it's kind of weird to go kind of what to do, but let's uh, what should we avoid doing, you know, to to with, as they enter this partnership, quote unquote, you know, with with the U.S. sports market, with the U.S. rugby league, um, you know, in, into the next, you know, now five years that this that this event will take place. Look, now that the five year commitment has been made, I think. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult, but I, I would actually focus less on the football side of it. See, I think this combine thing and all that, that's great. But to me, that's a minor bit of it. If you really want to grow the awareness, there's, there's two things. Number one, as I mentioned earlier, I think they should be sitting down and dovetailing their objectives with those of the USARL. You've already got a, some, a core group of people there. You want to grow. You want to use the USARL and the clubs here to grow the game and potentially grow their awareness of the National Rugby League, the greatest rugby league competition in the world. It's So I think that would be something they need to do. The second thing they need to do is they have to somehow get um, a better broadcasting deal with Fox. Now, I think they did very well to get FS1, not a problem there, and congrats to Andrew and and Peter Valandis for getting getting that in place and working with the Murdochs. Of course, Rupert Murdoch, um, he knows rugby league. His son, Lachlan Murdoch, is now running the Fox company. He is a shareholder in the Brisbane Broncos. So he loves his rugby league as well, which is a great <laughs> thing. But we have to tap into that because that is a, that, that's a partnership that can exponentially grow your awareness. So that would, be the, that would be the piece I'd be looking at is how do I work with Fox to make this thing even bigger and yeah. really think outside the square um, around how they could potentially do that and utilize the Fox network of broadcasting organizations. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's um, there's – I, I'm definitely in in lockstep with you on that one. You know, it's uh, broadcast is number one. I think you know finding ways to 
get more exposure, not just in Las Vegas, but, um, you know, in, in my mind, it's a bit of the off season. So I, I think there's a kind of a missed opportunity to move around the country into different locations. Um, you know, uh, small events, like little pop-up events in the South, in the Northeast, in the Midwest, in, in Texas and other, you know, large, we'll call it rugby union strongholds, if you will, um, to kind of draw more exposure into the NRL and this event and, you know, and how do we promote it across the country, which people tend to forget that the U.S. is rather large, five and a half hour flights from coast to coast, by the way, just so people realize how big it is. <laughs> um but yeah, I think that that's, that's kind of an opportunity that they could have done. Maybe next year, they kind of work on that. Like we'll call it the road show. You know, the NRL drives around and, 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 again, and a, they, a school bus around everywhere to gain exposure. <laughs> and again, they should be doing that in concert with the USIRL. And yeah. I think the interesting thing here is I think there's probably, from the USIRL's point of view, there's probably a case study here with Major League Rugby. Yeah. Um, they should, you know, you, I would imagine you guys are going to do a very deep dive on on their attempt at a professional rugby competition here in the US, yeah. because there's things they've done right and there's things they've done wrong. I think there's a massive learning if if you ever if, if we ever want to take the game here in the US to a point where we have a valid professional competition of any sort. Clearly, you'd want to do a case study on USARL. Oh, sorry, on um, on Major League Rugby. Yeah. You'd want you'd want to have a look at well, how did Major League Soccer do it over thirty years? And potentially, um, you know, there's a lot of learnings that can come out of how others have approached that because getting a new professional sport up and running in the United States is monumentally difficult given the sophistication of the sports market here. And, the, and at the end of the day too, people, people it, it's in their DNA that, to follow the sports they grew up with. Now, it doesn't mean, yeah. it's a, doesn't mean it's a better sport. Like, do I think rugby league's a better sport than soccer? Of course I do. Do I enjoy soccer? Yes. yes. But there's, there's billions of people around the world that will make the case that soccer is the beautiful game. Soccer is the greatest game of all. Well, I can make a case that rugby league's a great game too. It's not necessarily the greatness or the perceived greatness or the perceived physicality or the perceived toughness or the perceived skill level. You're challenging the DNA of various societies and communities globally in order to try and entrench your sport in there. You're basically coming into their neighborhood and saying, I got a new sport I want you to watch. And they're saying, look, I'm happy with what I got. Yeah. Now that's your challenge. And it's a challenge and it's a challenge all around the world. Look at the challenge of soccer to get into the United States, as we spoke about earlier, the global game and a lot of, uh, there's a lot of ethnicities here in the US that their heritage was soccer in Europe yep. or Latin America, and it still was difficult to grow the game. More kids play soccer in the United States than play Little League baseball. But look at the difficulty of getting a new sport established at a professional level because of the entrenchment of the traditional sports in the United States. So, yeah, it's a challenge, but I think it's exciting. I'm glad, you know, they're uh, the, the start of the process, and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, and I, I think you're right there. You know, it's a, there's a bit of history. Right. You, you grew up with it. You watch it. You know, most 99% of all of us grew up watching American football here in the U.S. And, you know, Saturdays was college football day and you know, Sundays is the NFL day. And, you know, it's just it's that history that has been in, ingrained in us. Um, you know, and it is. And I think it's it, it's less than like, hey, your sport's terrible or your sport's terrible. Ours is the best. And finding that commonality like, hey, you like this. You may like this, too. Like I like that, you know, kind of making sure that you're aware that I like your sport and you can like my sport of rugby league. Um, it's just, it'll take you time. Like you're, you, you, you're probably never going to get somebody to say, you know, or very seldom or randomly get somebody to say, you know what? I used to be the biggest NFL fan, but I don't like the NFL anymore. I like rugby league. Like they're still going to be that, you know, diehard NFL fan, but that doesn't mean they can't like your sport. And that's Absolutely. kind of, I think, I think the, one of the goal is. Yeah. And there's no reason they can't like both sports. Right. Um, and, and, and you shouldn't and be talking bad about it, right? You shouldn't no, be talking it, bad about them. No, I see. I'm, I'm a rugby league guy. And as I said before, let's hope this is a rip roaring success. But I enjoy the American sports as well. So I think you want those sports lovers that have got an open mind and maybe watching it, watching a new sport. Yeah. Well, Bertie, I want to kind of close it out here with uh, uh, maybe not quite as serious. Obviously, you're going to the match. You're excited for it. I'm excited for it. I would like to get your take on who's going to win both of the matches. So we'll start with the first match, the Rabbitohs and the Manly Sea Eagles. 
who do you, who are you taking in, in the first match of the new NRL season on March 2nd? Yeah, the, the, these are it's, it, um, it's sort of suitable, the games in Vegas, because this is like a crapshoot. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, very apropos on the, on the terminology there. <laughs> there you go. They, but look, I, I think, uh, look, South are looking for a bounce back. They had a very, very disappointing. Given the roster they have, the expectations ah. around South, they're a very big club. They've been uh, very successful the last five, ten years. Uh, they were a major disappointment. They'll be looking to bounce back, and I'm sure they're going to be mentally ready to do it. Um, the Seagulls, I think, are, are a sleeper club this year. I think from what I can read about them, I think they've recruited well, particularly with Luke Brooks. Yeah. Um, they have some legitimate superstars with Tom Trebojevic and Daly Cherry Evans, as long as Tom Trebojevic can stay healthy. Stay healthy. <laughs> yes. We're both thinking the same thing on that. <laughs> that's his challenge. I think Anthony Seabold has, you know, he's had some ups and downs as a coach, but I think he's an intelligent coach. What I'm hearing about the Seagulls, that there's a good good feeling in the place. I think not many people are going to tip them for the eight, but I think they're a chance. I think on the on the on the narrow field, I was thinking about this the other day. I think kicking will be even more important to build pressure by playing good field position. Yeah. But you have to have a very accurate kicking game on a more narrow field. I think the game will be a bit more defensive oriented because of the fact that, it, as we said earlier, it's the first game of the year. Teams are looking to be a little more conservative and build their game around defence and kicking. Yeah. Uh, there's no question to me that Manly had the better kicking game. Uh, might tip an upset there. I think the Seagulls might get the money in the first one. All right, there you go. Bernie taking the Seagulls in the first one. Uh, so let's move on to the second one. Now, you've got some history with one of the clubs. So yeah, you got the Roosters and the Broncos. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I, will, I will absolutely declare my bias up front. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Roosters. I'm a Roosters man. So I know the Broncos uh, had a brilliant season last year. They've actually lost some key personnel. Yeah, Fla- yeah, yeah. Fla- uh, Flagler, Farnworth, Capewell leaving. I think their losses. I think the quality of their roster will hold up very well over the course of the season. The interesting thing with them is they it, it, Adam Reynolds. If he plays, he, he may he be injured, hurt, but. Yeah. He may, he may not, but he does play. His kicking game will be absolutely vital. As we said earlier, the kicking game, I think, on the narrow field will be very important. The Roosters has always come into the season with high expectations. I think their top 22 players is as good as any in the league. The challenge for them will be to get their kicking game right. They don't have what I call as an elite long kicking game. But I think on this field, with the narrowness, it may be more around accuracy. Sam Walker has a very good short kicking game, a very good attacking kicking game. Wouldn't be surprised to see number of tries scored from kicks, attacking kicks. <laughs> um, but anyway, despite all that, of course, I'm going to tip the Roosters. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So well, on, on, on my running scoreboard, that's uh, uh, set one for the Rabbitohs, one for the Sea Eagles, and then now we've got. Both are taking the Roosters in the second match, so uh, you and you and David knew. So that's good. We'll we'll see who we continue to bring on the podcast and and give us their who they're tipping and maybe throw those bets down. There you go. <laughs> Based on Rugby League in America podcast. <laughs> well, Bernie, gamble, you know, gamble responsibly. Yeah, right. <laughs> we should have that caveat now. There we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bernie, I really appreciate it, man. Um, really enjoyed chatting. Um, obviously, it's a big event coming up. It's um, it's it's kind of a marquee thing for you know the potential growth of this of the sport here in the United States, and you know getting your insights, getting your knowledge, kind of of uh, more strategic, right? More you know what is what do we need to do to be successful? I think is going to be you know key not just for the NRL but for the USARL moving forward. Uh, so you know, I greatly appreciate you, you coming on and, and and chatting about that. Interesting aside for you before we go is back in 1987, they brought a state of origin game to Long Beach, California. Now, I, I had just moved to Long Beach and I ended up volunteering uh, a week of my time to help the, the, the then New South Wales Rugby League management promote the game. So we did a lot of things around Long Beach with, uh, you know, Boeing and these various big uh, McDonnell Douglas that were around Long yep. Beach at the time. So we did some, basically some McDonald's, some promotions around that to get, we got about 13,500 to the game. And look, the people that came really enjoyed it. Um, but of course, there were no marketing dollars spent in, in a traditional sense. And number one and number two is there was no follow up. So it was basically a sugar hit. And that's the thing that at least here, the NRL is committed to five years. I think they're going to get a lot of learnings out of this. We're very excited for it to happen. Just to get some rugby league here in the US is exciting. I hope it, despite the challenges we've described here today, I'm hoping it's an absolute brilliant success. 
Uh, however, the NRL want to measure that success. I hope it's a brilliant success. And I hope in a bigger picture, I really hope it's the forerunner of some collaboration between the NRL and the newly constituted US ARL to grow the game at the grassroots level here in the US. Yeah, Bernie, I echo those sentiments as well. We really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Um, what, what a great conversation. Really love having you on. For all of you that are listening and watching, you know, if you can go to rugbyleagueinamerica.net, you have the opportunity to go buy some of our latest gear from the USA Hawks that we were able to procure. Uh, go and you know, buy some gear and then wear it out to Las Vegas. You know, come find us. Go out to that Nines event that's got tons of teams play rugby league in the U.S. going to be out there uh, on Thursday and Friday. And then Friday afternoon after the Nines event, you know, saddle up and head on over to watch the Masters. You've got Australia, the U.S. and Canada all playing in a great match. And then that proceeds USA versus Canada. Wear your Hawks gear out there. Support the USA as they take on Canada and, and a big international match in front of, you know, hopefully a large crowd with a lot of people who are coming over to just get their fill of rugby league. And then, of course, NRL Las Vegas, two matches, 630 local time. Um, it's going to be fun. Come find us. We're going to be everywhere we can be. We're hopefully going to be streaming the Nines event for you. Um, and then hopefully we can do the USA Canada match as well where we can even, if, if we can't do video, we will do a radio version of it. That'd be kind of fun. So um, yeah, all, all kinds of good stuff. It's, as I said before, it's kicking off right now for rugby league in the U S there's a lot of great things. It is an exciting time. I hope that you're as excited as I am. You know, yeah, everything, everything's happening and it's going to be a blast. It's going to be, we're seeing the real kind of a culmination of some stuff that, that is going to, it's going to really be a catalyst to drive us forward for rugby league in the United States. Well, there it is a great episode. Thank you again, Bernie, for your time. I uh, really enjoyed having you on, man. Thanks, Dustin. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on those social medias, RLA podcast on Instagram, Facebook and podcast RLA on Twitter. Oh yeah. RLA Instagram on TikTok too. Don't forget. <laughs> Until next time. My name is Dustin Zare, and this has been Rugby League in America. <laughs> <laughs>